even before COVID hit, about half of U.S. adults reported feeling measurable bouts of loneliness and isolation, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Now the data is showing just how much of a positive impact a connected community can have on mental and physical health. If you live in a community with a lot of social wealth, where a lot of people meeting with each other, could be strong families, could be strong interfamily networks, it could be things are because of institutions or the way the physical landscape, the place for activities, the organizations, lots of things going on, parks. These are bringing people together. They're supporting each other. That's Seth D. Kaplan, a lecturer at Johns Hopkins University and a senior advisor at the Institute for Integrated Transitions, an international non-governmental agency helping communities shift out of crisis and conflict. If you live in a neighborhood where there's high levels of mistrust, there's high levels of anxiety, there might be some environmental issues, there's not much social support structures, there are not green spaces, there's not organizations you can belong to, and then you're mostly alone and you're feeling anxious and vulnerable. And of course, there are some material aspects here, even though I don't think health and there are places that are poor who also do well on health indicators. So there is some difference between material and poverty and lifespan. But if you're in one of those fragile neighborhoods, clearly you have many more disadvantages, many more constraints. And I think there's a tremendous difference in how you feel and how long you're going to live. Kaplan is also the author of the new book, Fragile Neighborhoods, Repairing American Society One Zip Code at a Time. He believes that the key to building more well-connected communities begins with local institutions. You can think of shops, think of houses of worship. You can think of some sort of local, informal or formal organization between families with some civic leadership and so on and so forth. Although many Americans live in towns and cities filled with people, we've become chronically separated. Many adults live within their own bubble, eating alone, driving alone, and then going back home to watch TV, do chores, or scroll on social media. In a post-pandemic world, millions of employees also work alone. Now we ask, outside of the house and the people you may live with, how well-connected are you to your own community? We live in houses. We live in areas that aren't neighborhoods. They don't have a unique identity. They don't have a center. They don't have institutions. They don't have activities to bring us together. If you go shopping, you drive to it, someplace not nearby. You, it's not personal. It's all transactional. If you go and worship, you don't worship nearby. If you get involved with a nonprofit, it might be national. It might be regional. It might be about some issue that you care deeply about. It's not about supporting your place. It's not about supporting your neighbors. It's not about doing things that have an immediate impact on actual people that live relatively close to you or even yourself, which is the way our life used to be in America and all over the world. Everything was designed around place, and now basically everything is designed to be almost placeless. And social media, the Internet, a greater dependence on technology all play a role in this division. But Kaplan says it also stems from our landscapes. Scattered neighborhoods, massive buildings, and wide roads and highways all reduce walkability and cut off residents from one another. And this is happening everywhere, not just in suburbia. It's important to understand the problems I discuss are urban and rural. The problems I discuss are red state, blue state. There are problems of everywhere in different forms. There are clearly some locales 
that are doing very well socially. You could be poor, part of an immigrant community. You could be poor and very tight-knit religious community. Think of the Amish. The Amish do not aim to be materially wealthy. They don't aim to go to a dense city. They aim for strong communities and, for the most part, rural life. And they're very socially wealthy. So how can you, the listener, start to create some local connections? Look for organizations that are active in your neighborhood and find ways to join them. Are there volunteer activities? Are there social gatherings? And you can simply join these places to meet people, but I find it easier to join some activity with a goal. I would always encourage you, if you have one person you know in your neighborhood, do it with one other person because it's much easier to try and look for the right avenues, the right organizations, the right initiatives if you are not alone. And what you're trying may not work the first time or the second time, but if you keep at it, I'm sure you will be successful and you will have much closer connections with people after that. If you live in an apartment complex or a high-rise building, Kaplan recommends posting a flyer in a communal area or creating an online group that residents can follow. If you can, invite neighbors to come together for a game night or potluck in a public place, or see if anyone's interested in meeting up to go to a workout class or the gym together. Kaplan says there's already a big need for this amongst seniors who live alone. I live on a street, 910. I have a neighbor, 903. That neighbor is quiet. She's in probably in her mid-50s. She doesn't talk a lot. Uh, but what a force she is. I know she has a mother a few blocks from where she lives, and that mother lives alone. And for some reason, maybe because of the mother, she started, and this has been going on for years, that at least once a week, I know she goes around to people, mostly elderly, who live alone, knocks on the door, and I think it's mostly on the weekend, and she goes in and she talks to these people 20, 30 minutes. Nobody asked her to do that. She somehow feels a sense of connectedness to these people. She recognizes those people have a need for company. They may not have family or any other connection on a daily basis in this neighborhood. Whether it's a neighbor, friend, or an organization, this kind of support can make all the difference. For so many years, people found this support and feeling of community in organized religion. Kaplan says this is still a great option, but these institutions need to do better. If anyone here belongs to a house of worship, I would urge you to have your church or mosque or synagogue or whatever it might be, ensure that they are more community-oriented. I believe one of the reasons for the decline of faith is that it is not emphasizing building community and building strong bonds in the way that it can, should, and used to. And so I certainly would urge anybody who belongs to a house of worship to make that a higher priority. And that, I think, will sustain your faith and your house of worship over time. It's also important to recognize that less people are religious these days. About one in three Americans now identify as non-religious, according to a recent Pew Research study. This has led to lower attendance and has caused some places to close. Former houses of worship are certainly great places to create community centers, great places to hold activities. I mean, I would be asking, if you live in the neighborhood, do we have a place for us to meet? Do we have a place where some community associations can set up offices? I mean, uh, I think there's many ways that we could use those spaces for organizations, for activities, for bringing people together. 
Despite all of the distractions we have today, from TV to sports to social media, everyone needs human interaction and a solid support system. To find out more about our guest, Seth Kaplan, visit viewpointsradio.org. Also check out his book, Fragile Neighborhoods, now available online and in select bookstores. This story was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Gary Price. This segment is brought to you by the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn 10X miles on hotels and rental cars and 5X miles on flights when you book through Capital One Travel. Plus 2X miles on all other purchases. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Coming up on Viewpoints. The conversation you have with your partner to say, your check will go to that and then I'll pay all the bills and then this check will go to that. And it's just like, you know, I work two jobs to afford everything and I still feel like I'm failing. The breaking point of high childcare costs in America. Then... It's actually the second largest money-making holiday after Christmas that we have. The wide appeal of Halloween. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.